Amen. All right. Well, um, if we want to just turn in our Bible very quickly to Hebrews chapter 2, we're just going to use this as a little bit of a launching pad again for tonight. This is definitely a little more topical of uh, teaching as we're going through these doctrinal, uh, different major doctrines in the Bible. We're right now talking about the doctrine of salvation, and we're taking a little bit of time to do that so that we have a little better understanding of our salvation. And uh, I think that it's valuable, profitable to do that so that not only do we appreciate our salvation more, but so that we can maybe better explain it to those around us, uh, those we're trying to share the gospel with. Uh, but Hebrews chapter number two, and uh, look in verse number three, Hebrews two, verse three, the Bible says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Um, but I love that little phrase in verse number three, so great salvation. And our salvation is indeed so great. And uh, we have looked at several aspects of salvation already. We've looked at the problem of salvation, uh, which is uh, we talked about there's the holiness of God. That's not a problem. But when it comes to us getting to heaven, uh, that's a big problem because he's holy and we're not. We talked about the sinfulness of man, uh, our condition, and then we talked about the penalty for sin there um, regarding, uh, so our, our condition is that we're sinners and that we're his enemies. And then as a result of that, we are on a course uh, to a place called hell. That's where we all deserve to go. All right. That's the big problem. Thankfully, uh, the series didn't end. Um, if, if that was the series, hey, there's just a bunch of problems. Uh, no, because see, number two, we talked about the provision of salvation. In spite of the problems that existed, God provided a way. I know you are too for those who are saved. Um, we just sung a song about it. Uh, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. And he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to make a way, but again, he chose to, and I'm grateful he did. So the provision of salvation, we talked a little bit about that. We spent uh, some time talking thirdly about the price of salvation, and we uh, looked at the fact that it was expensive. It cost Jesus everything. And we're going to take a little bit of time on Sunday morning to uh, go through that a little bit more in detail. Um, as we uh, consider Jesus Christ and the price that he paid on the cross of Calvary, because uh, we're in that passage in Mark on Sunday morning. So it was expensive. It was exclusive. It was the only price that could be paid for our sin. And how about I turn on my microphone? Okay. Is that a little better? All right. <laughs> okay. They're trying to get my attention back there and I'm oblivious. Okay, so it was, it was exclusive. It was the only price of salvation that could be paid. Nothing else could pay for our salvation. Uh, we couldn't pay for it ourselves. Uh, we, could, uh, we couldn't earn it in any way, shape, or form. Uh, Jesus shedding his blood was the only exclusive price for our salvation. And, of course, it was enough, and I'm grateful for the fact that it was enough to forgive me of all of my sins, past, present, future, that not only me of all of my sins, but you as well, and the sins of the whole world. Um, so the price of salvation. Then last uh, Wednesday night, we spent some time talking about the process of salvation. Now we know that 
you know, just as I was born uh, at 6.15 p.m., um, there on, uh, what was my birthday? September 22nd, 1976. Um, that's when I was born physically, and there was a moment of salvation, or a moment of birth, um, but that didn't, like... Like, yes, I was born, and I was given life at that point, but I continued to grow, and things continue to happen. And same thing spiritually. We are born again in a moment, and, and we, we talked about in that moment, that past moment in our lives. Hopefully, it's a past moment in your life. If, if, if it hasn't happened yet, I hope tonight's the night that it does happen. But when, when we look back at that past moment, that was when we were saved from the penalty of sin. That doesn't mean that, there's, that, that, that was the end-all and be-all of our salvation. No, because see, presently we are saved from the power of sin. We no longer have to sin. Uh, before we're a Christian, then we just have to, we're, we're, we, be, we are the servants of sin. But now as believers, we are saved from the power of sin. We are, can be dead to sin. And then we talked about the future aspect, and one day we will be saved from the presence of sin, and uh, that will be a wonderful, wonderful day. No longer will we ever be tempted again. That, that's going to be a great day. Uh, so that's the process of salvation. Then we started talking last week about the prerequisites for salvation. What then is necessary for salvation? Um, how does someone get saved? Well, we mentioned that it's not of works, it's not church membership, it's not baptism, uh, it cannot be earned. Um, in fact, good works are great, but uh, many people are going to end up at that moment who have done great works and not be allowed into heaven because they never had a real relationship with Christ. And uh, Matthew 7, Jesus mentioned that. And so, what then is required to be saved? Well, two things, um, repentance and faith. And we spend some time talking about, first of all, repentance, and uh, how it is emphasized throughout the Scriptures, uh, the New Testament. Uh, it's mentioned 60 times in the New Testament. John the Baptist preached on repentance. Jesus preached on repentance. Paul preached repentance. Peter taught repentance. And we talked about how repentance means to turn around, to change directions. It's to admit that I'm a sinner. It means to surrender to God's rule. It, it's, a, it's a change of life instead of, and I, and I illustrated it by, you know, going this direction and following sin and doing wrong and, and living for myself. And then when I get saved, I turn from that and I no longer am I so focused on that. Now I'm focused on serving God. There's a change that has been happened that took place in my life. You know, uh, Jesus, uh, Paul said in Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Uh, all things. Uh, okay, let me let me turn over there. Uh, I'm. I knew I was going to mess it up. I'm like, why am I doing this? I think I'm going to remember it, and I don't. Okay. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. See, there's a change that takes place inside that is evidenced on the outside. Where again, once I was focused on serving sin and self, now I'm concerned about others and the Savior, and uh, I'm I'm wanting to. I have a new new desires in my life. I have uh, a new direction in my life. That's, that's repentance. And um, 
All right, and uh, we looked at a couple examples of that. The uh, the, the man by the name of Zacchaeus, who uh, before he got saved was very corrupt and stole money and, 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 and cheated people out of their money. Well, the moment he got saved, he realized what he had done was wrong and wanted to make it right. There was a change that took place in his life. And that ought to be the case for those who come to Christ. And I realized, okay, um, you know, my wife uh, got saved when she was four years old. And it wasn't like she was, you know... Cheating people out of money and all those type of things. Um, although I wouldn't put a pastor. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, she was um, probably a pretty good little girl. I mean, she's pretty close to perfect. But um, she, there still is a change of life. Again, a change of heart where it's more, it's it's less about me and and more about serving the Lord. And uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.9 is, a, again, a great reference. And then uh, I'm going to move on to the next thought here. It says, For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The people there living at the, the, the believers in Thessalonica, they were at one point serving idols. They were going this direction. Then when the gospel came, they turned from those idols to serve the true and living God. And uh, that is uh, an example of repentance. So repentance, um, so what is required? What is a prerequisite for salvation? Repentance. And then secondly, faith. Faith. And we know we're saved by grace through faith. Um, and what is, what is faith? Now, John 1, 12. Uh, let's turn over there very quickly. John 1, the Gospel of John. John 1 and verse number, we'll pick it up in verse number 11. And this is a reference to Christ, Jesus. Verse 11 says, He came unto His own, and His own, what's the next word there? Starts with R? Received him not. Okay. Verse 12, here's that word again. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so if you are an underliner in your Bible, if you want to underline the word receive and the word believe, not only do they rhyme, but they are connected. Because how do you receive Jesus Christ by believing on his name? Okay, so repentance is a turn from your unbelief, from your sin to God. And then here is the faith aspect where you believe on his name. And of course, most of us are familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should have everlasting life, or should not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay, so believeth on him. It's... It doesn't say, for whosoever shall join a church, for whosoever shall, you know, become a Baptist, for whosoever shall uh, give money to the church. Um, no, no, none of those things. For whosoever should believe on his name. Okay? Um, let's turn to Acts chapter number 16 very quickly. Acts chapter 16. This is when uh, Paul and Silas were put into prison and uh, the first midnight concert in, uh, in, uh, in history, uh, at least recorded history, Acts chapter 16. 
And verse number 25, And at midnight, Paul and Silas, and again, if I were placed into prison for preaching the gospel and uh, beat up and uh, thrust in the inner prison, made our feet their feet fast in the stocks, I, I, I would just don't think that this next verse would be said of me. And at midnight, Eric prayed and sang praises unto God. I would hope that would be the case, but... Uh, at any rate, it was for Paul and Silas. That's how they responded to this being mistreated. They were beaten in verse 22. They were uh, thrust into the inner prison. It probably wasn't like, okay, here's, they open the door and like, here you go, sir. They, they thrust him in there. And, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed, sang praises to God. The prisoners heard them. And not only did the prisoners hear them, but also the prison guards, the keeper of the prison, I'm sure, heard them sing as well. Well, then, verse 27, after this earthquake in verse 26, the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, he drew out a sword, would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for light, sprang in, came trembling, fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, And they said, Join Cornerstone Baptist Church, and then you will be saved. No. Join the Catholic Church, and then you will be saved. Do all the different... Um, be one of the 144,000, and then you will be saved. No. They say, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. See, there was already repentance that has taken place in this man's heart. Because he was like, hey, what do I need to do? I'm ready to turn from uh, my way of life and my belief system to turn to whatever you all have. So he already had the repentance, and now we see uh, the faith aspect, believe. And then uh, verse 32, they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and was baptized he and all his straight way. And uh, what a wonderful story that is. So, faith. Um, let, let's turn to one more passage here. 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And verse number 1. And of course, this is the wonderful resurrection chapter in the Bible. But uh, before we get to that, there's uh, a quite a powerful passage that Paul here uh, mentions and he really defines the gospel and we're going to get to that in just a quick second but look in verse number one it says moreover brethren I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you which also ye have received and wherein ye stand uh, verse two by which also ye are saved if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you unless ye have believed in vain so here again faith is emphasized in 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 salvation so faith, belief, belief in what? Well, belief in the gospel. And here he goes on to say what the gospel is in chapter 15, verse number 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, how that which, um, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So that is the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. And that's key because a lot of people think, well, I don't know if he, you know, 
physically rose from the grave. Yeah, physically he did, because that's what the scriptures say. And so that's why it's important, the words, according to the scriptures. He died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He actually died. He actually gave up the ghost. And uh, again, we'll talk about that a little bit more on Sunday morning. But that's the gospel. Now, um, when it comes to faith, it's important to understand that saving faith is not mere mental assent to a fact. It's not simply believing some historical detail. For example, we believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States. And, um, and that Hitler ruled Germany in World War II and, um, and, and other historical facts. But such beliefs do not change the lives of those who believe those facts. You know, okay, I believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States, but that doesn't mean that that's going to change how I live my life. Okay, um, and, and many people believe that Jesus Christ lived long ago and that he did many wonderful things, but that belief alone does not change their lives. Saving faith is different from this. Okay, Saving faith uh, is an undivided faith. The Bible says that Jesus is the only Lord and Savior. Uh, John 14, 6, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts 4.12, Peter said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given among men, uh, whereby we must be saved in the name of Christ. He is the only Lord. So to be saved, I must believe that Jesus Christ alone is Lord and Savior, just as the Bible says. Some people try to add Jesus to their other gods. And, you know, especially in other countries where they do are involved in a lot of different um, you know, religions, and then, you know, the gospel comes to them, and they're like, oh yeah, well, I'll add Jesus to my other list of other gods. And that's not what we're saying here. You can't be saved by adding him to your other gods and say, well, I believe in all these other ones, and, and I might as well believe in Jesus too, because in case that one's right, then, you know, I kind of got my bases covered. No, no, no. Uh, saving faith is, I believe that Christ, Jesus Christ is the only true God, and that's it. Um, I'm rejecting the other false gods. So saving faith is an undivided faith. Saving faith is a trusting faith. The word believe in the Bible means to trust, to depend upon, to commit oneself to. To be saved, a person must fully trust his soul and eternal destiny to the Lord Jesus Christ. He must rely upon Jesus and Jesus alone to forgive his sin and to make him right with God and carry him to heaven when he dies. See, trusting Jesus is like trusting a boat to carry you across a lake. It's not enough to look at the boat and to admire it. You must actually get into the boat and trust it to carry you safely to the other side. And it's most of us have seen an example like this. It's it's like, you know, I can look at this chair all day long and say, I believe this chair will hold me up if I, if I sit in it, if I put my, my weight in it. Which again, since becoming pastor, it's a little bit more than it was before I got here. Uh, it's the Oklahoma, I'm blaming the Oklahoma food and the sweet tea and all of that. But I can look at this day, this chair all day long and say, oh yeah, this is going to hold me up if I sit in it. But I'm not really trusting it unless I... Actually, now hopefully it does hold me up. <laughs> okay, see, now I'm actually trusting this chair to hold me up. 
Okay, and a lot of people think, oh yeah, I believe that Jesus could forgive my sin and Jesus can give me eternal life, but he doesn't, he doesn't actually give that to you until you put your faith and trust in him totally. See, my question to you then is, have you trusted Jesus to take away your sin? Some people say they believe in Jesus, but they continue to go through their own old religious rituals. This proves they are not only they're, they're not truly trusting in Christ. When we truly trust Him, we realize that we don't need any vain religious rituals for salvation. We're trusting in Him and Him alone. So saving faith is also a convinced faith. To be saved, I must be fully convinced that Jesus is Lord and Savior and that He will fulfill His promises. You must believe with all thine heart. Um, in Acts chapter 8, um, when uh, the, uh, the eunuch was um, talking with Philip and, and uh, the eunuch said, okay, well, hey, I, there, there's a you know, big body of water here. Can I go get baptized? And verse 37, Philip said, well, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then uh, they, he, he was baptized. So you need to believe with your whole heart and be fully convinced True salvation is a no-so salvation. This is the kind of faith that Jesus' early disciples had. When Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember when he said that? When he kind of got it right on that, that particular exam question? Well, um, he was fully convinced that Jesus was the true God, and he was the Messiah, and he is the only way of salvation. Um, all right, so saving faith is a convinced faith. Next, saving faith is an unmixed faith. Saving faith cannot be mixed with human works. Um, and again, I'll just go back to the verse that I said uh, last week uh, because it's a, it's a fun one. It's the, uh, the tongue twister verse in the Bible, Romans uh, eleven six. And if by grace, then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. Hey, it's either only of grace or only of work. It can't be a mixture of both. A person must receive Christ's salvation as a free gift, not as a reward for good works. A gift is something that someone else purchases and then gives to me freely. If I try to pay anything uh, whatsoever, it's no longer a gift. Jesus is the one who purchased our salvation at a great cost with his death on the cross and the blood that he shed. And so it's an unmixed faith. It can only be of grace or of works. And then a last thought here under this, uh, saving faith is a receiving faith. Saving faith receives Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It doesn't merely believe in Jesus as a historical person. It calls out to him for salvation. Salvation is a personal relationship with Christ. Okay, so what's, what are the prerequisites for salvation? Repentance and faith. My question to you is, have you been saved? Are you truly saved? And then uh, the third thought on, under this prerequisite that uh, I want to talk about here, and this does lead to this particular discussion, and that is election versus free will. And I know that this is a, uh, this is a little controversial um, within the uh, religious community. Um, you know, which one is it? Um, 
Is it the election of God or is it the free will of man? The answer is ultimately yes, it is. <laughs> um, it's not one or the other, it's both. And um, I want to take a couple minutes and uh, go through this and explain this to us tonight. Um, and I, the truth of the matter is, I don't think anybody has a complete understanding of this particular concept. Um, th this, is, this, is, this is very difficult for our human finite minds to really wrap, wrap ourselves around that. It, it's, it, it's really impossible to fully understand it and to fully um, be able to explain it. But uh, the Bible does teach both the election of God, the sovereign election of God, and that it also does teach the free will of man. And because of that, I do believe it by faith that it is not just one or the other, it's both. Now let me kind of go through this here very quickly. There's no doubt that the Bible teaches that God in His sovereignty has chosen us. Okay, Ephesians 1 Verses 4 and 5 says, According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. So before God said, let there be light. Before God said, you know, uh, and, 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 and cause creation to happen in those six 24 little days. Right? Before God did all that, He had chosen us before the foundation of the world. We had chosen us in Him. It's pretty amazing. That we should be holy without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself. And then verse 11 says, um, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. So, does God know who is going to be saved? I would have to say if God is God and He has and He is omniscient, I would say yes, God does know. Um, he does know. Do I know? No, I don't. So I'm called to still get the gospel to every creature. And 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 part of the part of this um, those who believe in the election of God and you know and that's only it. Um, they are just like, well, I don't need to go get the gospel out because God already knows who's going to get saved anyway. And so, you know, they're going to get saved whether I go out and tell them or not. So I'm just going to go home and on Saturday mornings, I'm going to go watch Saturday morning cartoons instead. Rather than going out and taking these flyers out and, you know, maybe having somebody slam their door in their, my face. I mean, you know, they're either elected or not, and uh, we don't have a part to play in it. No, that is not what the Bible teaches at all. But, yes, God does know, uh, but that doesn't mean that we're off the hook for getting the gospel out. Uh, we're still called to do that. And, boy, if you, again, when, you're, when your mom told you to do something when you were a kid, you needed to do it. If she told you and repeated it five times, don't you think she, you better take her seriously? I mean, God told us five times in His Word to get the gospel out. We need to do that. And yes, God does know who's going to get saved, but the Bible also teaches the free will of man as well. Uh, we have the whosoevers of the Bible, right? John 3.16, I mentioned it a little bit ago. God, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
While God does know, He still does give us a choice in the matter. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then he asked uh, Martha at this, in this moment, Believest thou this? Are, are you going to choose to believe? Again, my question to all of you is, if you haven't believed, um, would, you, would you choose to believe tonight? Romans 10.13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't say, For the elect shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, so whosoever, it's, it's, it's an offer for everybody. Revelation 22.17, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. See, when it comes to salvation and the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, it's not either or, it's, both, it's, not either or, it's both. And for those who have heard the terminology, I am definitely not Calvinistic, nor am I Armenian. I'm American, actually. Um, but uh, there, there's a lot of dangerous uh, heresy when it comes to the Calvinistic theology. Because uh, what happens is they take the, the truth there, or they take biblical truth and take it too far to what it's not intended to be. And Armenian basically says um, it's only the free will of man, and God can't override that, and uh, it's only the free will of man. No, it's both. It is both. Okay, John Morin, in his book, Decision Making and the Will of God, says this about this particular Subject. He said, I read the many teachings of the Bible regarding God's election, predestination, His chosen, and so on. I read also the many teachings regarding whosoever will may come and urging people to exercise their responsibility as human beings. These seeming contradictions cannot be reconciled by the puny human mind. And with childlike faith, I cling to both ropes. Fully confident that in, that in eternity I will see that both strands of truth are, after all, of one piece. You're basically holding on to both ends of the rope, right? Uh, the sovereignty and the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. Dio Moody simplified this complicated concept this way. He said, "The elect are the whosoever wills; the non-elect are the whosoever won'ts." <laughs> That does simplify it. But one of the best explanations of this concept I heard was that the door to heaven, and I, I don't really actually believe that there, this is the case, but just it, to illustrate it, uh, that the door to heaven has a sign that says, whosoever will, let him come. And then once you enter that door, there's another, side, there's another sign on the inside of that door that says, I've chosen you from the foundation of the world. See, everybody's welcome. I mean, we know that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We know that God will have all men to be saved and to come to the truth. Um, we know that uh, uh, Jesus tasted death for every man. We know that He is a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. As a result, we need to get the gospel out to everybody. We don't know who the elect are. 
God does, but we don't. He hasn't revealed that to us. And He has called us to go and preach the gospel to every creature, to teach all nations, not just the elect nations. See? And uh, so, again, it's, that's the best explanation I could, I could come up with. And uh, I believe that that's a biblical, um, uh, it's a biblical balance with both. It's, it's not either or, it's both. And, uh, and again, I'm not going to claim I'm going to be an expert on it. And I don't know that anybody here is. This is God. Here, here's the deal. God does know, but he also gives a choice. And that is how big our God is. He is able to still have his will accomplished and still allow us to choose. I mean, if he, if he said, no, no, you're all just going to be pawns and get to do whatever I want you to do, and you have no volition in the matter, you don't have any will in the matter, then, you know, well, I, I can do that with my chess pieces. But God is bigger than all of that, and he's, he allows us to have the choice in all the matters and still allow his will to be accomplished. That's how big God is. One more thought on this. Um, when it comes to the prerequisites of salvation, I do want to make it very clear tonight that um, it, it's, it's, it's 100% God, 0% us when it comes to salvation. Um, Seth, would, I've shared this test, your testimony before, and he shared it um, before as well. But when we were in California, um, I, uh, there was a time on a Saturday night, I think it was, when um, he, I, I, he must have been, I think, six or seven years old, and he did something to Luke. I mean, what else is new? Things haven't changed much. Uh, but he did something to Luke, and, um, and then he lied about it, and uh, we found out that he lied about it. And so I brought him in my office. It was a Saturday night, and we were working at the church. And so I brought him in my office, and we talked about it. And then I said, hey, you know, ha you know have, have you trusted Christ as your Savior? I don't remember how the conversation came to that, but... And he said, no, I don't think so. And, and I said, well, would you, like, would you like to talk about that? And he said, yeah. And so we talked about salvation. And then, um, you know, I helped him pray a prayer to b believe on Jesus and, and call upon him for salvation. And so, you know, we thought, okay, he got saved. Maybe this is, he was only five years old, actually, I think. And then... Um, he was in Sunday school a few years later and a couple years later. And one of his Sunday school teachers came to me after church and he said, uh, brother Johnson, I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned about Seth. And I'm like, well, aren't we all? No. Um, I said, you know, what, what's going on? And he said, well, you know, in Sunday school, we were talking about salvation and, and, uh, and I asked the question, okay, how, what percentage is God's part and what percentage is your part? And, and Seth said, well, I think it's 99% God and 1% me because I had to pray. And, and, and the, uh, the teacher was like, I'm concerned about that because I think he's relying on 1% of his works. And we can't rely upon any of our works to save us. And so um, I was like, okay, well, hey, I appreciate you telling me that. Well, then we get to Montana 
in uh, 2015, and I think it was probably in the first six or so months that we were there that the pastor was preaching, and this particular topic came up, and, and it was like, hey, it is only God, it is 100% God, 0% us. And that kind of hit Seth, and, and that's when he realized that he was trusting in 99% him, God, but 1% in himself. And so tonight, uh, if you're trusting in anything you can do, now I realize we've talked about a couple verbs here, repent and believe and faith, um, but even those are God who does the work in that to provide, to, to, to lead us to repentance and to bring us to faith. It's the Holy Spirit that draws us. So again, we can't depend upon anything we do. And, and I don't emphasize in preaching about praying a prayer because, again, you, people go back, well, I prayed a prayer. And, and while I understand, you know, there's aspects in the Bible, in the New Testament, about calling upon the Lord for salvation. I understand that. But um, the emphasis is on belief, not on calling. And so I, I, I want to encourage us to place our faith in Him, not in anything we did, see, that there's, there's a difference there. And I want to take a moment to clarify that. Oh, man, I'm looking at the time. And that's about it. We're about out of time. Let's pray, and uh, we'll uh, look at some prayer requests. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to talk about salvation. What a privilege it is to um, look at this beautiful doctrine. Lord, this truth, this salvation that you provided for us. Lord, we're so grateful you did. And Lord, help us to understand it uh, in a greater way than before, even tonight. Uh, Lord, thank you for all that you did to provide a, a way of salvation, and thank you even for bringing us to salvation. Lord, we recognize that it's not us. And the Bible says there's none that seeketh after God. And some people think, oh, well, yeah, I was, I was searching for truth. Lord, we understand it was you who was doing that in our heart. You were, you were, you were drawing us to yourself. And Lord, we're grateful for the part that you played, which was 100% of it. In our salvation. Lord, I, I thank you that you do know who's going to be saved, but that you also give us a, a free choice in the matter. And Lord, I pray if there's one here tonight that hasn't placed their faith in Christ, hasn't uh, turned from their sin and trusted Jesus, that tonight would be that night for them. And uh, Lord, I thank you for each one that's here, and I pray that uh, these thoughts would be helpful, encouraging, and um, educational. And uh, Lord, so that now they can explain it better to those that they're sharing the gospel with. And uh, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.